You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. All right, welcome to The Better Man Podcast. Today, we have got Nathan Wagnon, who's not a stranger to the podcast to this day. And I don't, I don't know if I should share this on the front end, but uh, one of the highest rated podcasts we've got mm. was with Yeah, you. you shouldn't share that right now. High download rates. Now I'm going to feel like I have to talk the whole I know, time. 23 people downloaded. <laughs> That's more like it. Yeah. Four of them were all from like somebody in your family. <laughs> but whatever. So uh, we got you. Nathan Wagnall. We've got Duke Rivard. I mean, so we've known each other 20, 20 years. Yeah. So the first time we met, we were all in a forced fellowship group together um, through a local higher education institution. <laughs> In the Dallas Fort Worth area, and um, and so we all became friends. And the podcast can't see I put quotes, um, but I mean seriously, would have you guys ever guessed if I would have told you in one of our meetings, hey, in twenty years, you two are going to be working together with this amazing project. Uh, you're going to have this really awesome podcast studio. I'm going to be officing right down the hall. I know, right? And we're gonna we're gonna record a podcast together. My first question would be, what's a podcast? That's right. So, okay. So, and here's why I set that context is because I came in here with three sheets of paper folded in half and I said, all right, here's all the questions I've got. And I have zero questions written down <laughs> because I, I have just one question and I know, I know you two, uh, we have a lot of history together. I love you guys. I really do. And I'm not just saying that cause we're on the podcast. I love you too. And it really is so fun uh, to be able to do this together. And I love the project that you guys are a part of now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's it's called the Eden Project. I want you to talk about what it is, and then I'll ask my my one question that I think will hopefully guide the rest of our conversation. So, briefly describe what Eden Project is right now. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, and then I'm going to pass it over to Duke because he's a lot better at kind of describing um, kind of the issues that we're addressing. But I would say, in general, Eden Project is uh, a new organization that is focusing on leader health and equipping the church around the experience of uh, coming to grips with malformed or, or negative images of God that we all live with, helping, helping the church raise those false narratives to the surface, speaking into them, correcting them uh, through counter-narratives, telling people the biblical story and a, a story about uh, a God who is love, one of the things— we say is we're telling a bigger story of a greater love. It's it's better than we think it is. And there's a lot of reasons why we think it's not so great. And, you know, it's just something that we kind of have to do or feel obligated to religiously to fill an obligation or whatever. Um, but we're really trying to expose those false narratives, show people where that stuff comes from, and then just hopefully be used by the Holy Spirit to just kill that stuff and r- r- root people in there's some good garden imagery right there, right? Root people in um, the experiential knowledge of God. So that Paul, like Paul prays in Ephesians 3, um, that you being rooted and established in love, right, this foundation of love, would have power together with all of God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that you would know that love that surpasses knowledge, it's like it feels a little a little how, uh, talking well, out of both sides of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's there. like, hey, dude, how, how do you know something that you that surpasses your ability to know it? Yeah, and there is something in the human experience that goes beyond the confines of language, and you experience it. You have experiences of the reality that God's love is immeasurable, 
Um, you can't, it, it has no width, depth, height, it, like it's, it's infinite. And, uh, and so many Christians um, just don't live in that experiential reality day in and day out. And so uh, anyway, I'm going to pass it over to Duke and let him talk about kind of the, you know, we, we've been having this 20 year, all of us have been having this 20 year conversation on discipleship to Jesus and what does it look like to be formed into Christ and and uh, especially over the last probably five or six years, that conversation accelerated to the point where we are right now. But I'll pass to you, man, let you talk about the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah, there's several angles we end up talking about, but one of them is uh, there's a German philosopher named Hartmut Rosa who's talking about societal acceleration. So life is speeding up in a technological age. Uh, the problem with life speeding up is that it shrinks the present. Okay, the present tense is the only time we can actually do relationship. So I can't relate to Adam Tarno in the, in the past or the future yet. I can't relate to God in the past or future yet. Um, I'm actually only able to experience grace, to experience any kind of relational encounter in the present. And so if the pace of life, if being alone with my iPhone and not present with you, if a host of other factors are actually shrinking my ability to be present, what it's doing is it sh- it's shrinking. I'll use a word that's not maybe even commonplace, but the relationality of my experience of life. And so I'm living a, a derelationalized life, uh, which we would say, even back to the Eden Project, the idea that Eden was a relational habitat. It was a place where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. It was a place where they had relational harmony with one another. They had meaningful participation with God and his work of extending Eden over the entire globe. Uh, but we would say that it was optimized for connection. That connection was the default setting, and we're living in an age and a time where um, embodied connection, depth of relationship, um, and intimacy has actually uh, maybe never been more at risk uh, and more diminished. And so we see a loneliness epidemic. We do see alone together. So go to a restaurant and look at how many families are all alone together on their individual devices. How many family movie nights now have second screen can't even watch one one screen together without pulling out the second screen. Can I pause on that? One of the best tweets I've ever seen was um, a prominent pastor. Again, we won't say names, but just said like a quote from a from a like a news article that said millennials. The average millennial will have two screens on at one time. And his response, he retweeted it and just said, "Well, guess I'm a millennial." And uh, and he was not a millennial. He's like a boomer. And yeah. I just thought maybe I built that up to be a little better than it was. But um, to me, I thought that that's what I thought. That was of, really amazing. Thought, Adam. That was really amazing. I'll just <laughs> shut up. Uh, Duke, go on. Um, yeah. Re- relationality. Yeah. So we're talking about um, the Eden Project. Just saying, hey, we were made for a certain kind of relational habitat. What at this age and time, we actually have to slow down and audit what we are experiencing relationally, name it, notice and name it, and even help walk with people towards uh, a more connected life. And it's not, it shouldn't be taken for granted that it's happening. Um, COVID and and particularly in, let's say, some blue states, some urban blue states, um, you had people who are now, and you can find these articles all the time and all kinds of wide, widely read uh, periodicals or wherever, people saying like, I don't know how to make friends again. Like, I don't know how to do relationship. Like I lost all of my relational rhythms and I don't have any way to figure out how to get them back. Yeah, or life's completely upside down. It's like, okay, I'm starting again, but I don't have these muscles to even know where to begin. Yeah, absolutely. And then Nathan mentioned, um, 
you know, one, one thing we were looking a lot at is this idea of, of broken images of God. So even when we do slow down to do relationship with God, which is being threatened as well, time with God is being squeezed out. But even when we do, uh, there was a Baylor longitudinal study that found that 77% of people have a non-benevolent view of God in the right brain. So the emotional side of the brain, the, um, you know, the fast brain, so to speak, um, and, and that's actually where we do relationship. And so if 77% of people think God is angry, distant, or critical, that becomes a pretty pretty low ceiling on doing relationship. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear angry, distant, critical, I may think of the principal's office, yeah. or I think of the big boss's office who's too busy for a meeting, or I think about um, the, the overly critiquing critical person that you just don't necessarily want to go spend time with. Yeah. Um, but so that becomes uh, the precondition, the emotional climate of what God feels like. Uh, even though we're on a mission to say, hey, he's actually way better than you think. Yeah, which if you look at this, I mean, you take um, what Duke's talking about, like you have the present, which is, you know, maybe this wide, and because of societal acceleration and technical distractions, it shrinks. But then your capacity vertically is also severely diminished because of broken images of God. And so that space where you're, it's the only place you could ever actually love right? Relationally connect with somebody in intimacy is not just really small from a, you know, width and, and length standpoint, but also a height. It's just like really compressed, which is why I think, you know, and I don't, I don't use this word um, casually. I use it very intentionally is I think that that uh, compression, that compression is demonic. I mean, it's, um, it's dehumanizing. And at the end of the day, what it's doing is reversing what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 3, that you would know the height, width, depth, length of God's love. And the enemy is going, yeah, I'm going to make that really small, you know. And Eden Project, and the, you know, the reason we call it Eden Project is you have relational connection with God, with Yahweh in the garden, walking with his images in the cool of the day. Revelation 21 and 22 bookends the entire biblical narrative where Eden is restored and it's fulfilled, right? It's, it's, it's God's presence and permeates the entire cosmos. It's his place, right? In Revelation 21 and 22, there's no temple. Why would there be like God is with his people? It's his place. And everything in between, even though it's broken, is being driven by a God who is love ontologically. Like essentially that's who he is. First John 4, 8, right? God is love, that God is is moving toward the fulfillment and the completion of Eden. And it's, this is his Eden project. And essential to the Eden project is a reconnected re- relationality with yourself, with others, and ultimately with God. Yeah. So you guys have gotten into a little bit of what my second question was going to be, um, which is why. Like, why, why, why the Eden project? And I still don't know if you've answered what. Uh, like <laughs> we're all friends here, man. Let's be honest, okay? Let's, we're starting the podcast over. So what? No, I'm kidding. But um, because this is like, I don't think there's anybody listening right now that's going. I don't know. I, I think I disagree with that. Uh, we're all nodding our head in agreement, going, "Yeah, yeah, that's my reality. That's my reality." Why did you have to start a, uh, an organization to address this? Um, what and then what is the organization doing to try to address it? Are you just talking about it or, but I, and, and I know the answer to a, a little bit of this, but I want you to talk about uh, a little bit more of why you felt like you had to institutionalize this a little bit by creating this organization that was going to go and try to serve the church in this way. Yeah. Well, it started, 
like most any great thing does, and I'm not saying we're great, great. I'm just saying like anything worth doing uh, starts, and that's just with personal experience. And so um, I was working on my doctoral work at Biola University and in discipleship and spiritual formation. And during that process, the Lord was doing stuff in me that was disorienting. And through the process of reorientation for me, I began to kind of push this content and these ideas out to my immediate sphere of influence. And everywhere I went, I mean, you guys know this personally, right, Jackie? Um, Everywhere I went, I mean, it was like pouring cold water on parched ground. I mean, just people were... It, it was touching a nerve. And and then I think God in his providence just, you know, moved us to the point where it was like, okay, it makes sense for us to actually begin to serve the broader church in these specific ways. Um, so to answer the what are we doing, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the resources part, and then I'll let Duke talk the, the lead aspect of things. But um, even though we do relationship and right brain, right? Which um, we, have, we can talk a lot, a lot more about that. But even though we do relationship there, it's not that, you know, left brain capacities should just be ignored and tossed. Like actually, when you look at the neurobiology of it and the flow of information, they feed one another. It's supposed to be a symbiosis, like con- congruency there where it's like, no, it's, it's healthy on both sides, Right. And so, and a lot of uh, a lot of left brain doctrinal type stuff that's been happening in the church, really for the last four hundred years, honestly, um, is is a lot of it's good. Some of it is uh, starts to shuffle things around so that things are not ordered the way that they should be. So, what I argue is that the love of God is not some kind of moral attribute that fits in a long list of things that. God does or, you know, a quality that maybe he has, but that the love of God is actually the hermeneutical key or the key that unlocks the entire meta narrative of scripture. Like if you don't start from the place of not just intellectually assenting to, but experientially like um, relationally encountering the love of God, if you don't start there, you're starting from the wrong spot. And the vast majority of people that I uh, interact with, that, that's not their experience. And so it really is a, um, in a lot of ways, a reformation of, you know, the church today to go, hey, the love of God needs to be put back into the center, the driving force of everything that's real. So our resource side, which is a website uh, curriculum stuff that we're producing, I'm working on a book right now, some seminars we're going to be teaching those kinds of things, uh, podcasts that we're doing, all of those things are going to be that drip, drip, drip of, hey, there's a, new, there's a new way of looking at things, and actually it's super ancient, <laughs> and we're trying to recover it. And so from a resource side, the, you know, when people are like, hey, what are y'all doing? Like what occupies my time? It's, it's writing. It's doing podcasts. It's pushing what, what we call counter-narratives. Um, that doesn't mean that the narratives previous were all wrong in every way. There's a lot that's really good about them, but we're really trying to redeem the center and put it back where it belongs. And part of that is um, through pushing information to people to get them to go, oh, that's a paradigm shift for me. Yep. I think I'm going to think about that differently yep. now. Yep. And that's that's our 
That's our bucket that we call Eden Resources. And then Eden Lead would be, so that's kind of for anyone, everyone. That's anyone, yep. And then Eden Lead, is that get the audience a little bit more narrow, Duke? Yeah, a little deeper into the funnel. Eden Lead exists to retrain leaders to connect deeply with God, self, and others. So we have ministry cohorts that are there for ministry leaders. We have marketplace cohorts that are there for marketplace leaders. We were talking before the podcast, looking at some uh, military options, maybe even some pro-athlete options that we've been in partnership and discussion with. Uh, But essentially, Eden Lead is a one-year leadership formation journey comprised of three retreats, uh, Knowledge of God Retreat, Knowledge of Self Retreat, and a Pace and Practices Retreat. Uh, John Calvin said the two loci of knowledge are knowledge of God, knowledge of self. Uh, the, the longer you go in either direction, you end up coming to the other. So we sometimes still say Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah has an open vision of, of the throne room and gains a lot of self-clarity. What was me? I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of my unclean lips. Uh, the prodigal son does self-accusation. He leaves the father and goes and does his life without God, gets a lot of clarity about what life is like without God, comes back. Um, so either, either pathway ends, you, ends up leading to the other. Um, but you have to sign up in a triad, so this is something maybe unique to us. Um, so anyone who enters into Eden Lead has to grab two buddies, two friends, male or female, to join them um, into a triad. The reason we do that is this is really more like a CrossFit gym than it is watching a YouTube video of a CrossFit gym. Okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to retrain you. Dang at- it. <laughs> <laughs> I, those I really like the YouTube verse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eat my donut. Yeah, <laughs> and and one of the one of the secret sauces of CrossFit is you have community accountability and results that start to be a referential, you know, self reinforcing loop. Um, our triads are really a place where the things that we train on in a retreat you take back and you you practice locally with people because the reps relationally are actually more important than the one off experience you had one time. And so uh, we do a lot on knowledge of God with Nathan's God image diagnostic assessment, helping surface images of God, helping people walk towards the God who is love. A lot of work with spiritual directors who are there to guide. Uh, Many people in the Protestant tradition or evangelical tradition, even more specifically, have never actually had somebody sit with them and really explore what it's like when they pray um, and what the relational state of the the relationship is and and how that really goes and, and giving them meaningful practices or steps towards moving into deeper intimacy with God. So there's a lot a lot there. Um, the knowledge of self, you're going to do story work. You're going to do stuff around wounds and, and warfare and weakness and um, all kinds of stuff around uh, who you are and how you've been formed, how you do relationship. And pace and practice is, is just this acknowledgement that if you don't attend to the pace of life that you're traveling, um, the, the likelihood of you experiencing intimacy with God or another person is greatly diminished. So we have to really name pace and we have to be very intentional about it. are we optimized for relationship or are we optimized for productivity, profitability, achievement, something else. Yeah. And, and then practices is, is really a, it's unique to the leader. Um, it's not a one size fits all. Um, we really help leaders discover uh, for them what's the most meaningful pass at this state to, to deepen with God themselves and others. So that's, that's I love that. And again, let's go back 20 years ago. If you would have been sitting around a table observing us and you would have said, okay, of, of these guys in this room right now, let's put the other two guys in there with Tom and Aaron, that uh, which ones do you think will kind of make a career? I don't like using that word, but their life's work is going to be really focused on the love of God. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Okay, y'all would not have been chosen. And here's why, because, and this is why, you know, we're kind of getting at this on the Better Man podcast, because of all the wrong stereotypes, Mm. okay? Because if you looked at who were the two manliest men, and Tom and Aaron, I'm sorry, it was not (laughs) us. It was not the three of us, okay? 
It was y'all two yeah. because Division One athlete football player. Do you remember that picture uh-huh, yeah. of him and his neck oh, when yeah. he played linebacker yeah, at Missouri? Yeah. It yeah. was huge, right? Yeah. And so that's like a dude who loved to hit others. You, a football player, military background. And I just, I just find it so interesting that uh, – so if anybody's listening to this going, eh, they've said love a lot. I bet, I bet these are a bunch of pink, <laughs> pink sweater people, you know. And she's going, no, it's not that. And that's, yeah. that's what I love. And, and your ability for you two in particular to talk uh, – and let's talk to men for a moment, right? Because I'm, I'm going to just assume that – is it fair to say that men will struggle with view, viewing God and his love more? Uh, that's it, that's actually it, a really interesting question. I think there's, um, I don't think there's enough research out there to to say. Um, it is a good question. I don't think there's a definitive answer. I do think that in different ways, um, men, because of gender stereotypes, um, will tend to um, suppress emotion more than show it. Um, but there are a lot of, there's still a lot of questions out there around that. So it is intriguing. Yeah. But this, and, and what you all are seeing, um, when somebody can unlock or connect the dots on the breadth of God's love for yeah. them, yeah. is this a, uh, this feels like it's a massive turning point in somebody's life. Is that, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think uh, Dallas Willard's last lectures, you know, are captured um, in the book Renovated, that Jim Wilder, and he talks about Dallas Willard wrestling with this question of why are, why are people in the church doing the liturgy, engaging the spiritual disciplines, and some are growing, you know, wildly and others are plateaued. And his, his conviction was that if you're not starting with the experience of the love of God, which he defines as has said, the Old Testament covenant keeping, I'm, I'll never leave you or forsake you, I've attached to you and I love you and I'm not going anywhere. If you don't live there as your starting point, um, all the Christian activity you could do, all the ways in which you could engage other things is not going to actually result in a relational experience of growing in intimacy with God, growing in maturity in Christ even. Um, and so we're just saying this is actually square one and until square one is 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 right, all the other activity we do might be um, – a fool's errand. I mean, it, it becomes religion. It becomes empty activity that's not relational. It may even be an attempt to earn access to relationship or some other broken image of... Which is what you get with the false images, right? I mean, if God is angry, distant, critical, the way you relate to him is not out of a, a foundation of trust. And unless you trust somebody, you're not going to love them um, or be able to receive the love they have for you. So this gets back to, um, even your question gets back to the reason that Eden Resources exists. Because we were were laughing about this on the way back from lunch, just talking about some uh, honestly just idiotic things that people say. Um, And one of the most idiotic things that I've seen out there, I mean, uh, maybe I shouldn't be a little more gentle with that, I don't know, but is the whole idea of like love is love. I'm like, what the, like that's not worth saying. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It means whatever you want it to mean, right? And a lot of times when people hear us talk about the love of God, they they think in their minds, like pink sweater, you know, mamby pamby, kind of like whatever. And I'm like, no, no. Um, that's why we're pushing out resources to people to get, to help them go, no, this is what the love of God is. And in fact, one of our main podcasts is going to be called uh, The Glossary. And the reason it's the glossary is we just want to like clarify, like define things for people. 
because there's so many bad ideas about God, about the love of God, about, because at the end of the day, it's like, oh, but you talk too much about the love of God. It's like, yeah, maybe that's the same thing as saying, hey, we're meant to breathe air in our lungs, but we're going to completely ignore the fact that we're not breathing air. It's like, well, you're going to pass out and die. Like, this is not, this is not debatable. At the end of the day, if somebody does not live in, in the love of God or learn to live deeply into the love of God, then you actually are stunting your development as a human being, not as a Christian or as a, but as a, as a human that we're designed for this. And what's interesting to me too, man, I mean, I was just, maybe it's fortuitous we're doing this today, but last weekend, I mean, I was with people, you know, at, at Fort Bragg in North Carolina in the special operations community. And we were talking about um, the pervasiveness of insecurity in some of the top tier levels of achievement that men achieve, that male men achieve. Same thing in pro football, same thing in, you know, the special operations community, whatever. There's a lot of insecurity because people have relied upon their own coping mechanisms. And when those coping mechanisms inevitably fail, they don't know what to do. Right. And what we're, what we're saying is, no, actually there's a, there's actually a better way of being human that where, where you're becoming more human, the more you're learning to live in the love of God. So any, anybody who's just like, Oh, that's weird. You know, I'm just like, man, I, I don't think you really understand what we're talking about yet. Um, and I think the more that people see it, I know this, the more people actually see it and go, Oh, that, that's what you're doing. That's what you're talking about. I mean, the floodgates open, man. People are like, yeah. I'm in. How can we help? You know? And, yeah. 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 When, you, when you define love <clears throat> as somebody who's consistently seeking the highest good, like, of the other, um, and you ask someone, hey, do you like it when other people consistently seek your highest good? Like, when you had a friend do that or a spouse do that or anybody do that, it's like, oh, of course, that is the air that Nathan's speaking of. See you. I know you. I value you. You have agency. All of the fundamental human questions, right? What if, what if instead of every three, instead of every three out of four, have a non-benevolent view of God, which is the way it is now? What if in a generation that's reversed? Like, what if three out of every four people, because they've been deeply formed in the biblical narrative, because they've been trained by leaders who have been deeply trained to live at home in the love of God, to connect deeply with themselves, God, others? What if that's reversed? You know, and, and now instead of going, well, I never really had an example of somebody who lived that out for me. I never really had a mentor who saw me. I never really had a, who encouraged me or, you know, picked me up when I like, instead it's like, no, I totally had those. There were multiple of them. Right. I mean, the world would be different. It would be a fundamentally different place. And that's, I mean, I think that's God's Eden project. Hmm. Okay. So some of the things that you hear when people, because we all, uh, when you say the love of God, we all, something pops into our mind. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. We've got yeah, some yeah. picture of it. And so, but yet it's really interesting because if, if it really is the angry, distant, critical view of God mm-hmm. as a predominant view for 70%, I think is what you 77, you call it, 77%. Yeah. And that's, that might be low. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are the people that answered honestly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And right. so, so what about like, what are, how, how do you reconcile that? Like, oh yeah, I get it. I get the love of God. Yeah. He loves me. Uh, almost like contractually obligated. There's no emotional feeling to yep. it, 
but yet I still view them as uh, angry, distant, critical. What, why well, that's, why that's is there the, that disconnect? It's actually, that would be uh, the 72% okay. um, are like that. 70 and then another 5% are what we would consider atheist or agnostic who deny the existence of God. What's really happening though is they just haven't been able to come to a point psychically to accept their emotional projection of who they believe God to be. So they, they're rejecting God based on an emotional response against him, which is what adds up to the 77%. Um, so this is, this is a majority of people who intellectually are like, yeah, I know God loves me. This is why sometimes we ask people, it's like, hey, do you believe God loves you? It's like, mm, yeah. Okay, why? Well, the, the Bible says so. Oh, roger that. Good answer. You know, Do you believe that he delights in you? A whole nother question. It's a completely different question, but it's a lot closer to the right question of are you experiencing the love of God, right? And most people, you know, you, that's another way to phrase it is, do you believe he likes you? And most people would be like, not really. Like, I, I messed up last night. The thing I did for him was not good enough. He's critical of me. My prayers never get past the ceiling. He's, he's got better things to do than deal with me. I mean, all of those things. <clears throat> and so really what we're doing is we're going, no, that's not the way God, God actual <laughs> is. He's way better than you think he is. A, a guy said one time, he was like, you know, every once in a while you have, like all of us who are in Christ, we have these moments when, um, when it feels like the clouds kind of part and the sun rays come through and you're just like, you're just like, whoa, God really does love me. It's amazing. Yay. You know, and a lot of times it doesn't last very long, you know, and you're like, oh, that was cool. Well, I guess I'm down here in the rain, you know, um, <clears throat> But it's, it's those moments when you're like, man, I, I just don't, I don't know if it could be that good. And what the guy said was he was like, when you get to that moment, you're just starting to scratch the surface of it. Like, it's way better than you think it is. And that's, I mean, this is Lewis, right, in The Weight of Glory, where he's like, we're far too easily pleased, man. We, we, you know, we're, we're content with this over here when what's offered to us is infinite, and again, it's giving people new images and along with those images, new experiences. And that's the, that's the strength of the triad model of Eden Lead is what's happening is you're, you're sitting down with, with people who are attuned to you, who are empathetically listening to you, and they're not going to leave you. For the vast majority of people, that's not a reality in their lives. So it is in the Eden Lead program. And what you end up learning to do is to go, hey, I'm going to locate myself to tell the truth about where I am right now to an empathetic listener who's not going to leave me. This person's attuned to me. And then now I'm going to attach. I'm going to have the experience of attaching to someone else. And then that serves as a surrogate vehicle to overlay onto a new image of God to go, oh, maybe God's like that, where you didn't have that before. And that's the critical piece yeah. where people are like, Oh, oh, well, what I've been believing about God is wrong. Yeah. We're like, yep. Yep. And you can tell when someone's moving in the direction of encountering God actual in more intimacy when their prayer life begins to resemble yeah. the Psalms. Yeah. So David is able to show up and tell the truth to an empathetic God who doesn't leave, even, even to protest and mm -hmm. to say, I think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, that's Psalm, that's Psalm 22. Or to ask God to kill his enemies. Yeah. So but, like how, when did we pray that last, yeah. you know? Well, one, one of the things that... <laughs> Seriously? You want to... Like, <laughs> like, well, we're, we're a triad right now, man. If you yeah. need to tell the truth about yeah. yourself, we're listening. Yeah. So, but we, we, we almost audit the intimacy, 
someone has with God by the honesty of their prayer. Mm. Like how well can you show up and tell the truth to God? Even about God. Hey, I don't feel like you're keeping your promise. Yep. David has no problem doing that. And it says that David is a man after God's own heart. Mm. So David, and I'll say this to the better man audience, if we're saying, hey, is this is this soft, girly stuff? It's like, well, David was actually like a special forces guy, had the mighty yep. men following him. Yep. Okay? He was killing people with his hands. Okay. He was also a musician and he was a, I mean, he's a, but he has a, he's actually a really complex image of masculinity. Yep. But one of the beautiful things, he lived a deeply relationally connected life. So his, the Psalms led him into great intimacy with God, and he had this vibrant relationship with Jonathan. He knew how to have male friendship, mm-hmm. and, he obviously, and, and he obviously was married uh, multiple times. <laughs> too uh, many times. But um, he, <laughs> Seven he, times too many. Yeah. He, um, but he lives a, a deeply relational, connected life. And he's even given an exemplar of a man after God's own heart. Yeah. But I think that idea of the heart being like he was – David knew how to show up in relationship. And, and that actually is why he had intimacy. And one of the things we end up training men and women in – is to say, hey, um, I don't know that you're showing up. And I don't even know if you know how to show up. And I don't know if your family of origin gave you many models of how to show up. And one of the reasons you're not experiencing deep connection is because you don't, you're not sure that you can tell the truth. Because if you did tell the truth, it might be too much. Go back to your room and come back when you have a smile on your face yeah. or some other version or that's too heavy. That's ooh, Put that back in the box. That's too much. Uh, but if we got to the place where we felt we could in some trusted spaces with, with other, other believers – if we thought we could do that with God, what we start to find is uh, we're connecting in a much deeper way yeah. uh, than we've ever had. Well, and not just David, right? I mean, Jesus. It's kind of like, hey, if David, the warrior king poet, is praying like this, and then Jesus in the garden is echoing his prayer, mm. it's like, you have permission to do this. Yeah. You know, this is actually authentic relationship. Yeah. So where, and we got to, you know, let's get close to like trying to wind this one down. The... um like, where do you start? So somebody's listening to this and you guys talk about this and it is, um, I, you know, it will be better. Uh, the, the passion that I hear in your all's voice with this is not a, I'm in a courtroom and I'm trying to argue that your way of thinking is wrong. I do sense this. There is something so much better for us. It is so, like the king is so much better than we could have ever imagined. Uh, he's like nobody you've ever met. Um, but then there's also a lot of like, oh, it's a year long and then there's these and all this kind of stuff. So, um, if there's just a place to start, like, let's just, let's pretend Eden Project doesn't exist. And where, where would you encourage somebody to start this journey of these different, these different images? Yeah. When we talk about join the movement and you can find this on our website, the Eden Project, uh, we really say take an Eden walk daily. So Adam and Eve walked with God daily in a cool evening. We'll train you how. We have a guide and a video that just really, really, really basically gives you a 15-minute prayer walk with God. And if you follow it, I believe it'll be closer to praying the Psalms like David, and you will connect with God. And it's a muscle that is, as you work it, uh, you're going to grow in intimacy with God. So we, we challenge people, take an Eden walk daily. 15 minutes can be done at work and your break. It's a pretty easy thing to do to find that 15 minutes, and let's let's prioritize that. We, we're encouraging people to join a triad, and we're, we're doing a lot of training around how do you do a triad because the things you, you practice in that relational environment work a muscle that you can take back to your marriage, you can take to work, you can take to your kids, and you can begin to deploy in all your relationships. But you need a, you need a training partner. You need a place where you can actually do this. And, and it's a little bit where it's a controlled environment where the, the, the two people doing it with you are really aware of what you're training in and you're doing it in a coordinated way. And so we'll train that as well in triads. And so those would be the two daily practices. Well, one's a daily, one's a weekly practice that we'd say anybody can do. And we, we're committed to training people to do it. 
in a way that uh, would help them continue to just work those muscles. Uh, we believe this is a human thing. We believe it's a universal thing. It's not a mountaintop. Once a year, I, I got away on retreat and I experienced this amazing relational reality. We think it's available all the time. And it's and, not four it's, days in the dark like a like a football <laughs> player just went through to try to figure out uh, hell, hell week and yeah, for the seals. A, whatever, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there was um, yeah. One yeah. of the football players just went, spent four days in a dark room. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers yeah. went to Oregon, right? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To experience some strange So I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. One, uh, with the knowledge that Eden Project does exist. Um, and that is, I mean, consumer content. I mean, I think that there is a left brain side of this that goes, that, it, that are paradigm shifts. of going, man, I always read that passage like this. But you guys are like opening up new realities for me. And like, that's, this is kind of messing with me, you know. Um, because um, even though the left brain is not the right brain, it definitely influences it. And so I think that there is, there's power there. Um, so articles, podcasts, you know, share with your friends, all that kind of stuff. Then I'll answer it based on the, hey, what if this didn't exist and you're just sitting there, you know, with nothing. Um, the thing I would tell that person is one of the most powerful things that God has given to us is the ability to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. So, like all three of us right now are paying attention to something. I mean, right now we're paying attention to the concepts and the things that, you know, the vision that we're casting for with Eden Project. We're paying attention to each other's body language. We're paying attention to eye contact. We're paying attention to, you know, we're paying attention to a lot of things. <clears throat> um, but oftentimes we're not paying attention to what we're paying attention to. It just happens, right? And, um, and I think that becoming a person who's aware of what's going on internally of – of just asking the question, hey, all right, what am I think? How do I experience God? I mean, just that simple question is really powerful because somebody might go, well, if I'm being really honest, like, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm, I kind of feel like I, I have a huge project due in like next week and I haven't even started yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like everybody knows what that feels like. Uh, terrible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and it's like, oh, dang. And, and it's like, wait a minute. If that's experience, like, but, but is, is that what, is that what God actual is, is like, like the real one, the mm -hmm. one who's exist, mind independent, whether you believe in him or not, like he's there. And, uh, and I think that, you know, uh, doing that internal audit of what am I paying attention to will reorient people, I think, to the reality that, um, really what we're talking about, and you described it beautifully earlier we're like, hey, y'all are y'all are really saying where he's way better. It's like uh, it's like hearing somebody uh, talk about a place they've never been to. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, you guys really ought to visit Italy. Yeah, I've never been to Italy. No, we experienced it this summer with the Grand Canyon. I can't tell you how many people told us about the Grand Canyon, yeah. and then but you stand on the South Rim and you're like, oh. oh. Exactly. Right. Okay. It's so, totally and, and so I'm going to connect that to something, right? How many, how many times in our evangelical communities does somebody have a problem? And our answer to it is, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says to do this, this, and this. And, and um, so we would encourage you to do that and we'll hold you accountable to doing that. Right. And, and then hopefully it'll fix whatever the problem is. Right. Some kind of self-help type thing. When in reality, a lot of times what the scriptures are doing is they're, is they're painting an environment for us to show us our need to go, hey, dude, what you need right now is not a five-cent piece of 
you know, self-help stuff. We need to remind you that God is with you. And I, as your brother, am going to go with you to the king. And we're going to go, I don't have an answer for you, but we can go talk to the one who does. That represents the, the probably the most significant shift that we're talking about. A lot of people have ideas about God, but very few people have ideas with him. And the Eden Project is teaching people to relate to God, to be with him mm. instead of just thinking about him. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different uh, other ways that we could go with this, but um, what's the question, what's your favorite question to get asked about this whole thing right now? For me, it's probably um, when people ask um, the origin story. For you? Like where'd this come from? Yeah. Because it's so, like I said, toward the beginning of our time together, it's so personal to me. Yeah. And having, you know, and obviously Duke and I know you well, and um, to know how different all three of us were 20 years ago, and I hope we could say it's the love of God that has transformed us into who we are today and that we are so different and it gives anybody hope, Um, because wherever you're listening to this, there's going to be a a 20-year version of you ahead from where you are today when you're listening to this. But I think think for, like, the seat that I've got into your all's life right now, it's— because I know that story, this wasn't just some intellectual journey for you, that you found a corner of the market that wasn't talking about the love of God. And you were like, cha-ching, there's a way to go cash in and like find something new to say. Um, in, in many ways, it saved your life, right? And so I, um, I, that's not surprising that Yeah, there's that a lot like of experiences that. that I had the Holy Spirit was pushing me into that, I mean— Frankly, in some cases, I wasn't willing, willfully, I mean, I was fighting him on it, you know. I didn't know I was fighting him on it, but I was subconsciously. But he's pushing me into these spaces. And really, it was a lot of the the roots of the Eden Project came out of the work I was doing, trying to figure out what was happening Yeah, internally inside of me. And you use a great <clears throat> word, that disorienting, mm-hmm. which could, I think, be very comforting to a lot of people listening to know that when you go through these moments, they do feel that. Yeah. They feel very disorienting. You you ask them, am I even a Christian? Yeah, or, totally. Or like, is something yep. broken? Or yep. who am I anymore? Yep. That kind of stuff. And what's like, encouraging, though, and I'll tell the audience this, like, please listen, wherever you are listening to this right now, like, a, most of the time, God is intentionally pushing you into that space. Because just like we would do with our kids, right? I mean, if you're constantly just doing everything for, for your kids and like instead of letting the kid walk, you're like carrying him everywhere and he's mm. like 14 and you're carrying him in your arms <laughs> like a baby. It's, it's freaking weird, you know? Yeah. It's like, no, let the kid walk. Like, yeah. let him run. Yeah. Well, I mean, the kid's going to fall. The kid's going to bust his knee and his head and all that kind of stuff. But he's going to be able to run, you know? And that's what the Lord wants for us, right? Is no, you, you're, you're my image, created to be indwelt by my spirit, given a task and given, given function and meaning and like go. But in order for us to mature, he's got to push us into those disorienting spaces. It's actually a very natural part of the maturing process. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what would you say? Yeah, I think my question, as I thought about was also was personal. It was, it's really, uh, why, why do you have the passion around this that you do? Why would you leave what you were doing to go and do this? And I think it's a very personal reason. It's, it's actually, um, you know, desire for others to experience what I've experienced. Um, maybe a little bit of anger that I grew up in a tradition that 
um, did give me more knowledge as as a, a constant answer for the next step in the spiritual life and going, actually, I wish I would have had someone slow me down and pray with me and and help me to just learn relationally, even if it was super basic, even if it were um, just baby steps, it would have been you know, so helpful to, to have had spaces where that was happening and there was some mentorship around that. And and I just think our tradition, we have to, the name that we're really strong in, in the word, we're strong in exegesis and doctrine and a lot of things. And we're, we're which pretty, is good. Which is good. We don't in any way want to chunk that. We want to keep that. We uh, just but, never do leg day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, pencil legs, and, and we do, and we have some dwarfism. We have some weakness around some of the relational aspects of being with God, mm. and so I'm just—I guess I'm angry in a good way for people to experience more of that. And yeah. so it seems worthwhile to walk with people to, to finding what what we found, and there's just a lot more there. And honestly, we're still beginners we though, totally on the, in the spiritual yeah. life. So it's yeah. like we're some ways you get to you get to keep what you give away, and, yep. and you get to keep working on the yep. thing that. And I think yeah. that's what makes your all's message so compelling. And and I, I'll put that out there as like, all right. So all the show notes will have the links to the website and all that kind of stuff to your admonition to just start mm-hmm. just start downloading the content and reading yep. it. I can't. I can't encourage that enough, and that's where people will get to hear more of your stories because right. you guys really do have. Um, uh, you are incre- like uh, you're both the most interesting men in the world, and so. Uh, <laughs> but and I say that you know yeah, it's a little funny, but you guys really do have some pretty powerful stories and things that you've decided to do, where the Lord has led you and how you've learned some of these lessons, and it's great. It's great that it's all. It's not just. You guys didn't just climb a mountain, have a vision, and come down. This is uh, rooted deeply. Yeah. As you said, it's ancient. Yep. So this is new, but not. It's yeah. lowercase yeah, n. Right, this is very, right. very old. And so keep it up. It's fun to share some of the Better Man p- platform uh, with you all just so that people can be aware of what you're doing because I, I think it's incredibly important. I yeah. really do. And I think it all fits really hand in glove with what we're trying to do to help equip churches, to help men to help leaders uh, in all as, uh, aspects of life. So, um, well, and we're yeah. we're in talks with um, the Betterman leadership. Um, we're huge fans of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, they're looking at our stuff, going, "Hey, I think there's some there's you know, tons. This of is copacetic. There. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited to see what the Lord has. That's good. And then the last thing I'll say is as a recovering CPA, you guys said the word audit three times and I (laughs) loved it. (laughs) I mean, you talk about feeling seen and known. (laughs) We were contextualizing for you. The triad was strong at that point when you guys were saying that. All right, Duke and Nathan, thanks for being on the Better Man podcast. Hey fam, it's Chris Harper, Better Man's chief storyteller and CEO. At Better Man, we're not reinventing masculinity, we're reclaiming it. We're pointing men to the greatest man ever, King Jesus, showing them God's good design for manhood. Did you know that Better Man is 100% donor supported? We exist because of the generosity of people like you. I've got a question for you. Would you consider becoming a financial partner today? Either making a one-time gift or becoming a monthly partner helps us take Better Man to the world. Check out the link in the show notes below and support Better Man today.